Welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic-related topics and social issues. So today we are joined by Ismail Royer, and we're going to be talking about race and race issues, and particularly how we do or can tackle them as Muslims. So Ismail, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Alhamdulillah. So maybe just if you could give a super brief uh, intro to just key things about you that you might want people to know before we begin the discussion. Yeah, sure. So I, um, I converted to Islam in 1992 at the age of 19. Um, I am from St. Louis, Missouri, and that's where I uh, converted. I grew up in um, uh, uh, family. Um, my, my mother was Catholic, so I, I was raised Catholic. And our, our area that we grew up in was mostly white. Um, I would say probably 99% white um, and, and in a part of St. Louis there. And um, uh, I really only knew a total of maybe three or four um, African-American kids, um, you know, growing up until I got to high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, in high school, um, I, so my high school was um, at one point was mostly white, but um you know, a couple of years before I started going there. So I started high school in 88 and um, in around 80, in 1985 or so, the federal court ordered um, a desegregation of the, um, of the school district. And so with the school went from being almost all white to being about 40% black. And they would, um, you know, bus the kids from the inner city in St. Louis out to, um, out to our, um, out to our school. And um, when that, uh, order came through, and the but the first buses came in um, at my high school, and this is a couple of years before I started. Um, white parents actually met the buses coming in, throwing rocks at the buses, and wow, yeah, and turned them away. And so this is this isn't the '60s. I know that's not the '60s. That's not the '70s. That's around '85. Um, you know, so you know we all know about uh, the Ferguson um, uh, riots and so on. And um, you know, so that's so St. Louis. St. Louis was when I was growing up, had a lot of racial tension and a lot of, a lot of old fashioned segregation in schools and in, um, in housing and so on. Well, so um, it turns out though that, you know, so my, you know, in my, when I was growing up, my mother um, taught us, uh, my father, mother and father taught us, you know, very much not to be uh, racist. My mother um, was a uh, teacher in the inner city and um, the St. Louis public high schools. And she, uh, we actually um, uh, uh, had a foster uh, child living with who was uh, f- living with us who was after African American for a while. And my, my sister, my adopted sister herself is Vietnamese. We adopted her in um, around 74 or so. Um, and so my parents, they're not like, they weren't like hippie types or anything, but they were um, kind of just ordinary Americans, except that they were really, um, you know, they had very uh, strong ethical views against um, against racism. And um, so, when um, when I got to high school, and I, um, you know, and I, by the way, and I remember like as a kid, I remember like my like sort of my attitudes towards racism against even even though I hadn't didn't really know um, any um, black kids, like, but I would get mad if I heard someone using the N word or somebody said that's not cool, don't say that, and mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, that was just like my, you know, sort of like my natural disposition in the way that I was raised. When I got to high school, um, 
it was really interesting because, you know, these uh, kids, um, they were so different, you know, the African-American kids, they were so different, different than, um, than me. And, you know, in the, in, in just in like, you know, in so many ways, and yet they were so familiar mm-hmm. and, you know, being in this kind of like environment now, and like the way that it was so interesting with like the way that white kids dealt with this, you know, a lot of them would like try to, to um, they would try to like be cool with the black kids, but they would like try to like talk as if they were black, you know, and it was like, didn't come off like as really condescending. And I never did that. And like, I have like my yearbook somewhere, um, I was looking at it the other day and someone wrote in there like, um, you know, to a cool ass white boy, excuse my language, like who, uh, who's always the same, no matter who he talks to, <laughs> you know? And I thought that was really interesting because it was like, you know, I was like, I don't know, 14 or 15 at the time but I was like you know yeah I mean that is true because I always I never tried to put on like a different accent I mean you know people like code switch and stuff but I mean I never I never like tried to like you know do that and so I I got really interested in um rap music and I um from the kids and you know from black kids in my school and I I started listening to public enemy and um public enemy you know they uh, would talk about Malcolm X. And so I, you know, wanted to know who is Malcolm X. And I went and, um, and they would have like these little snippets of, you know, his, uh, they would sample like his uh, speeches and stuff in their, in their right. songs, you know? So I like went and got, um, I went and got Malcolm X's biography and I read it and I bought, um, I bought some like tapes of Malcolm X speaking, um, you know, at like this um, African-American uh, bookstore in Central West, or sorry, in University City in, in, in St. Louis. And so that kind of like, it started getting me into the um, orbit of Islam and got me thinking about Islam. And I actually went to uh, try to go see Farrakhan speak in uh, St. Louis, um, although we couldn't get in because we got there late. But, you know, it was me and my white friend. We <laughs> 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 drop it in. <laughs> you know, and I didn't really fully understand at that time the difference between like Nation of Islam and Islam. I, I mean, I did because I read Malcolm X's book, but at the same time, like it still wasn't, a hundred percent clear to me, like from a pragmatic point of view and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so, but ultimately, like I ultimately, I converted to Islam from um, uh, f- uh, Malcolm X's biography. That was the main thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, so my experience with going to high school with African-Americans was what um, really led me to Islam. And there's an interesting anecdote, like I, about, uh, I converted to Islam in 92. So it was like about a year after graduating from high school and I went to, um, I went to uh, uh, um, uh, this African-American book fair that they had in, in uh, St. Louis and um, Flavor Flav was there and he was like mm-hmm. signing, signing autographs. So I went up to him and I said, um, you know, I, you know, I was at the table, you know, like he was behind his table. And so I got in line to talk to him and I told him, I said, uh, I just wanted to thank you because from your, um, you know, from your group, I um, learned about Malcolm X and, and then I converted to Islam from, um, you know, mm-hmm. from that. So what he does, he like reaches over the table. He didn't say a word. He just reached over the table and he hugged me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And he just held me for like 30 seconds, you know? Wow. And yeah, like it was a long time that he just held me and like, you know, I'm looking around, you know, I wasn't looking around, but like I, I could feel that people were looking like, what, <laughs> what's this, what's this about, you know? Yeah. And he didn't care. He just didn't care. He was just like, he had so much, um, I think, I think he was moved by that and I was really moved by that. And mm-hmm. so, you know, even though like Flavor Flav is like kind of these people see him as like this silly guy, but I mean, he's obviously, I mean, he's a really, um, 
you know, uh, you know, profound uh, person. And um, so, right. I, yeah, so I, I um, that's my, you know, that's my background and how I came into Islam and it's uh, absolutely inseparable from, um, from my, you know, you know, what was really only could be described as my blessed um, interaction with African-American um, people. And um, so I'm very, um, I'm sorry, I'm very blessed by that. And, you know, so there's a lot more to say, but that's, I think I would just like, you know, bring it, introduce myself that way. Yeah, mashallah, that, that's really fascinating. And so a couple of things I want to ask you from yeah. that. It's interesting that you, as a white person, that you read Malcolm X. And, you know, of course, Malcolm X was firstly dealing with a lot of racism and all of his um, interpersonal problems with his family and society and all of that. And then he joins the Nation of Islam with their particular ideologies. And of course, towards the end of his life, he becomes a Sunni Muslim. But a mm -hmm. large part of the book has to do with all of these evil, brutal, oppressive things that white people have done to him and his family right. and people and his reaction to that. So how, as a white man reading this book or young man at the mm -hmm. time, yeah. how do you then see yourself in there somewhere and be able to relate to him enough to want to learn more about Islam and become yeah. Muslim? Well, um, so I, at that stage in my life, I had, I was um, in a period of really um, being um, very upset about so much of like the injustice that was going on both like from like government policies and then, you know, and then like, um, you know, just in society, you know, so, I mean, you know, for example, I just in my day to day life and, and seeing, um, you know, in high school, like, you know, I would see, you know, there, there was a lot of racism, even though, even though I definitely say that like that, that um, desegregation process, like helped a lot of white folks there, like, uh, you know, get past like their stereotypes that just come from not knowing people and, you know, and people, you know, people really became friends and stuff, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of animosity from whites and you'd hear, hear a lot of them like behind people's back talking badly about um, African-Americans. So I, I, I would get really mad about that. I, I, I learned like, okay, so I started like hanging out with um, kids. Like I took the, <laughs> I took the bus from, from like this white suburban neighbor, neighborhood I lived in. I took it down to like, if anyone knows, there's an area called the Horseshoe in St. Louis, which is like the murder capital of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like this. And I, I, because I was going to visit a friend and they just told me, oh, got, you know, just hop on the bus and, mm -hmm. you know, to take this bus or whatever but like so the bus driver the bus driver tells me um you know he's like sees everyone getting off the bus at different places and i'm like the last person on the bus and it's nighttime and the bus driver like is so we get to the bus stop and the bus drivers um i get up to get off and the bus driver says i'm not letting you off here <laughs> <laughs> and the bus driver was black you know and i'm like why not you know so like i didn't even know what the hood looks like you know what i'm saying because i was just like I didn't realize I didn't realize that this where I was. I mean, I you know I didn't recognize it as being the hood. I thought it was just like I don't know, like a neighborhood, you know. And it yeah. definitely definitely like different than my neighborhood, but it wasn't right. like yeah, it didn't look like what you would what I had like it didn't look like like Watts or something, you know. I mean, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so um, so anyway, um, yeah. So so I started, but, but but I started like getting to know how like poor 
and how like um, segregated St. Louis was. Cause I mean, I was growing up in the, in the suburbs. Now I'm like, now I'm out here, like I'm a little older, I'm hanging out with people and I'm like seeing that like, man, you know, like I'm living in this really, like I thought of myself as poor and I was relatively poor. Like I, I had gone up, grown up going to, a, um, you know, in my, in my, uh, in my elementary school, I went to a, um, a private school and I got in through like my test grades and stuff. Um, but I was, um, I was like the poor kid at that school. Everyone else was like, you know, um, like the children of like senators and the children of like, you know, uh, big business magnets in St. Louis, you know, the Anheuser-Busch people. And, you know, you know, so their, their kids are all going there. And, and like, I was like, really embarrassed to go um like i'd go to their houses like my friends would invite me over and they're like mansions and and then mm -hmm. like i i couldn't invite them over because i'm living in like this apartment and right. yeah apartment in this like lower middle class you know st louis and mm -hmm. but in you know in, in in um now that i we eventually moved and we moved to a, like a nicer area my 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 dad got a little bit more financially stable and so mm -hmm. you know i'm going to these i'm going to the um to the inner city where the kids that are in my school live and I'm like, man, this is, uh, this is really bad. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like terrible that there's so much, um, segregation and it's like St. Louis was, I mean, St. Louis was so like South St. Louis. Now it's like, I mean, it's gone through all kinds of problems. South St. Louis was all white and they were poor white people, uh, but they despised and hated like the, um, mm -hmm. uh, blacks, you know, and then the North, North St. Louis is all black. And it was like, much worse than even the the poor white neighborhood. So as you can, I began to I began to like sort of just realize this. So when I um, and then not to mention, of course, like I'm I'm reading about the um, police brutality and I'm reading about like this this the civil rights struggle. I'm reading about slavery. I've started like reading all this stuff. And so I I was like when I was reading Malcolm X's book, I was like you know really. Um, you know, I was really feeling it and I was really feeling like I had a responsibility to, mm. um, you know, to, uh, to try to correct that and help that. And, you know, um, so when, like, for example, when the Rodney King riots happened, this is right before I converted, like I was, um, so I, one thing I should mention is that I, um, <laughs> yeah, so, so my, so this is actually a really critical part of me becoming Muslim and part of the broader conversation here about Islam, uh, racism is that, my friend um, Chris Coleman and I, we were in a punk rock band, and he was like the guitarist. I was, uh, I was a singer, yeah. And um, so Chris, uh, and he recently passed away. Um, mm. And he used to say that there was one God. He believed in one God. So I used to give him that and stuff. So we'll, you know. Anyway, but uh, so Chris and I, we we just happened to be like in a um, in a uh, in a lot in a Denny's at like three in the morning and we're, you know, we're, we're waiting to be seated by the waitress. And so he and I like, we were on the same page about like, you know, injustice and stuff. So he and I like were reading about the black Panthers and I had, I had read, um, uh, Huey P. Newton's, um, book revolutionary suicide. And he had read, um, uh, he had read uh, Bobby Seale's book, you know, the two co-founders of Black Panthers. So he had read uh, Seize the Time, which was Bobby Seale's book on the, on, on the Black Panthers history in his life. And so these were like kind of like from two different perspectives. And if people know the history of Black Panthers, like, you know, Bobby Seale and Huey Newton both had kind of slightly somewhat different trajectories and different, um, different outlooks, you know. And, and um, so um, what we were doing, we were like standing in line and we were like, discussing like the, you know, like the different outlooks of 
Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale and, and like their differences in recollection and perspective. And so, so the, the, so we're, we're in like totally white area of St. Louis, you know, these two white boys. And, and here's um, in line where there was this African-American guy with the, uh, wearing a kufi mm. and, you know, and, and he keeps like turning around and looking at us, you know, mm-hmm. like, but for us, like there, it wasn't that weird because we were like weird anyway. We were punkers and, you know, <laughs> and we were just like, we were who we were. So like to us, it was normal. So we, the waitress seats us like kind of next near each other, like in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, air, in the dining room. And, um, so he's like sitting there listening to us, like tripping out. And then he finally calls us over and has us sit down next to him. He's like, come here. You know, <laughs> he looks at us and he goes, who are you? <laughs> and we're like, uh, I don't know. You know. So we just, you know, so we became friends. That, that, um, that his name was uh, Farad Donaldson. I'm gonna just going to go ahead and say his name. <laughs> and, uh, and so Farad and I, uh, it was Ramadan. It turned out to be Ramadan. And he was, um, he was out there because he was working at a McDonald's out there and was waiting for the bus uh, to start in the morning and, and get back home. And so like we're, we just got to talking and we became friends and Farad winds up like he and I like used to debate about um, religion and stuff all the time. And I, I like, I, even though I liked Malcolm X, I really um, had an issue because at that point I'd become like an atheist because of my like involvement in like you know, like um, leftist, like anarchist, communist type, you know, type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I had been an atheist at that point for like a few years. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, I was 18 when I met him. And so I guess probably around 15 or 14, I'd become an atheist. And so Mm -hmm. Farad, Farad used to like debate me about like, um, about the existence of God and, and all this. And we wound up getting an apartment together, me, him and his cousin. And then my girlfriend at the time who was African-American also, by the way. And Mm so we wound up, um, I wound up, you know, he's the one who gave me a copy of the Quran. He's the one that, so he's the actual like living person that I met, you know, that really, you know, uh, and he's on Twitter, by the way, and we interact all the time. I'm not going to, I'm not going to expose who he is, but he's, <laughs> we, to this day we're friends and I just saw him recently and, and I love him very much and um, owe, owe him a lot, you know, um, very, very close friend and very brilliant um, brilliant guy but always like lived in the hood I mean really really rough areas and he never left there and and so um so through him as well like I experienced a lot of the injustice and then so when the Rodney King riots happened he and I and um uh several others like and like you know like our little circle of people like we went out trying to start a protest in St. Louis and um didn't find any I mean there wasn't any so we're just like there's like you know, it's eight of us walking around the streets of St. Louis, just sort of like mm-hmm. trying to protest, but like being like really like, yeah, like looking really dejected, I guess, because, and we walk past this lady and the lady was sitting on her porch and she yells at us. She says, she says, young men, she says, young men, hold your heads up, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, wow, you know, mm-hmm. I'll say that like, I felt, I felt like I felt good because I felt like um, she understood like what, you know, what we were feeling and, 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 and see, I'm, so I'm white. I, I, I can't even fully, I can't live for, I can't imagine like what it felt like in the wake of the Rodney King riots, mm-hmm. you know, as African-American, but I could at least, um, you know, in some degree empathize. And I was out there, you know, trying to, trying to do something and, mm-hmm. you know, and that was right before I became, so I became Muslim like right after that. And, and a large part of me becoming Muslim had to do with the, um, you know, position of Islam on racism and Malcolm X, what he said in his book about 
that um, this could be a means of white people, like in white society, you know, like overcoming their, um, you know, the racist past and and so on. And so I think, in, and, and when I went into the masjid for the first time to like, you know, it was mainly run by Pakistanis at the time. It was a very small masjid at the time. Now it's like the major, the biggest masjid in, um, in, in Islamic Foundation in St. Louis. But at the time it was a pretty small masjid and and they had a big thing um, hanging on the wall, the, the ayah about, um, uh, you from you know so so you know the the most noble of you are those who are um the most god fearing and that Allah created us into different nations and tribes to know one another and I thought that was really such a beautiful like I'd never heard that before and you know in many ways that's like it's become like a slogan that people de- deploy you know to sort of say oh Islam's not racist but but really, but for me, I didn't see it that way. I, for me, at that time, I, I saw that as a very profound, mm. you, know, you know, statement of Allah's creating the human being. Uh, you know, the children of Adam is a diverse group. You know, mm-hmm. so it's not that like diversity is bad. It's not like it's it's not like it's bad that we have. You know, that there there we're created differently. But rather, like this this is a way to like um, get. You know, this is a way for human beings to to know one another because it would really be so boring if everyone was just the same. And, and I, I know that for, for sure, having grown up in, you know, West County, St. Louis, where everyone was the same. And now like being Muslim, it was like, I loved the, I loved, um, I loved me meeting people and getting to know people from different, you know, African-American or from different countries and stuff, because you would, that way you, you almost like really get to see the similarity in everyone as well as the differences. And I felt, you know, so, so that's how I understood Malcolm X's, yeah. Um, book, you know, yeah. That, that's really fascinating. Um, alhamdulillah, and it seems like you just related to this general sense you had of not wanting to see the injustice that was happening yeah. at the time and continues to happen. So I want to, I think we'll probably come back to some of the stuff you mentioned, but I want to kind of fast forward because in your story, someone listening may think, you know, this is, wow, like, the, they might think that you align with sort of the kind of typical um, activist, maybe left, maybe not leftist, but liberal mm-hmm. with those ideas because of that background. You're someone who, you know, was fighting against racial yeah. and all of that. So they may think fast forward, that might be, you know, who, who you are, um, you know, yeah. sort of activism thing. But for, um, you know, a lot of people may perceive you as today, one, they might be surprised by your background, but also might perceive you as someone who is conservative, someone who more so aligns with those, that ideology. Um, and maybe we can bridge that to, well, first mm-hmm. you, can, you can tell me if that, if you feel like that perception is correct, was there sort of a major shift in your ideas from more liberal ideas to conservative or was it just issue by issue so maybe on the race issue then you more so align with you know so-called liberals but on other issues you align with conservatives um do you do you think that's sort of an accurate um i don't know perspective of of your ideas or or not I, th- I think that's a really interesting um, I mean I think it's a good way to put it the last thing that you mentioned there and um, you know we, this needs to be unpacked a lot but I think that um, one thing that's really important is that the issue of, or the, the the sort of labels of conservative and, and liberal um, 
you know, it's, they're, on, they're useful only to a very uh, limited degree, you know. So, so for example, what, what many people don't realize, especially white liberals don't realize, um, and especially white liberals who don't have much, um, or not just white liberals, but I mean liberals of, of any like non-African American um, background don't, don't understand is that um, African Americans tend to be uh, very quote unquote conservative, um, you know, or at the very least there's, 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 there's a very um, profound conservative, uh, um, let's say like um, background, um, you know, um, so for example, like uh, black churches, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and so, so that there's, uh, and even like, if you look at the nation of Islam, the nation of Islam itself had a um, very like, you know, <laughs> conservative, um, yeah. if that's, and again, like that's, that's like shows the, the, the bad, you know, how useless this label is often, but I mean, like, go and listen to Malcolm X, go and listen to Elijah Muhammad and see what, um, what their social positions were. And they were very, very, they would be described as very conservative, you know? So, yeah, even sort yeah. of aligning with that, like rugged individualism sort of thing, uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, depend on yourself, yes. you know, dress the part, all these things that a lot of liberals, um, black and white, are very much against, they were for. It's that, and it's also, it's also, and again, like, so that is, so it's also like, not just the rugged individualism thing, which is sort of like one, uh, I guess, like, um, uh, facet of a type of conservatism, which is sort of like a conservatism, sorry, which is like kind of an American style. But then you also have something else, which is like this, the family values, yeah, which, absolutely. you know, yeah. I mean, which is, I mean, like read, read what, how Malcolm described his relationship, um, his marriage, you know, yeah, um, you know, and, and, and listen to some of his um, discussions on, um, for example, like uh, same sex, uh, you know, relations and stuff. I mean, he was uh, ferocious on um, on this issue. You know, so there's so much there that, you know, so so I think that um, I think that uh, that's a uh, there's no there's there's no contradiction between mm. being for uh, racial um, justice and 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 for for um, being against racism on the one hand, and then on the other hand, being like you know, pro family and, and, and it's it's only if like through a through a accident of I think history that somehow or another these um the views of being like anti racist came to be associated somehow as part of a package and an ideology of um you know of being um uh you know of of other let's say like other positions that are associated with liberalism, you know. Right. No, that's a really, really good point. And it is unfortunate because if, like, if you were to say that you're a conservative, then yeah, that would pack in some things that maybe people think are neutral or good, right. but it would also automatically make people think that you are racist or have right. racist ideas. Exactly. And yeah, and that probably shouldn't be the case. Um, so I do want to ask you, you use that term anti-racist uh-huh. so there, there was that article that you shared anti-racist arguments are tearing people apart yeah. and that was really fascinating because re- reading it as someone who is black i still mm-hmm. felt a bit confused <laughs> a bit torn. Yeah. Um, because on one hand i assume that people who are anti-racist and, and maybe you can explain that term a bit better 
um, I assume that they're quote unquote on my side, right? They're fighting right. against racism. They want to see a better world for black people and other minorities. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I do understand the sentiments of the article in that uh, there's a part of me that thinks that uh, in some ways things are being uh, prioritized in the wrong way. So. Yeah. Yes, there is, for instance, the, the issue of microaggression. So yes, mm -hmm. that can be an issue, but on a scale of things to deal with in terms yeah. of racial issues, yeah. it's probably at the very bottom. And yeah. so it feels weird for people to center their, you know, quote unquote, anti-racism around that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what is anti-racism? How would you explain that? And what do you think is the problem with it or even how would you characterize the ideas in that article and sort of your reaction to it? Well, so a lot of, I think a lot of this here is, has to do like a lot of problems here with like um, the poverty of our vocabulary. So mm -hmm. when I say like anti-racist, I don't really, you know, I don't mean to call up a lot of, uh, um, uh, a lot of the craziness that is going on, you know, today and, and, you know, and unreasonableness. Um, in order to okay, so it's a. I'm going to circle around and then I'm going to get back to that. Like, okay. one one um, one thing that has to be understood with a lot of white folks and their response to racism and their um, like purported or supposed attempt to deal with it is that they're not really dealing with it in I think an effective way. I'll, I'll, I'm going to give you a couple examples. Like one, when, when I was in high school and I I was. Um, you know, I, I was in summer school one time and there was this, um, so I guess this was like my junior year or something in summer school. And um, I'd like failed the class and had to make it up. So, so I'm sitting in, I'm sitting there and the teacher says something along the lines of, um, you know, he, he was, I guess he was having like kind of like a, a frank talk about racism. The teacher is white. Mm -hmm. And by the way, like the whole class is white also, the, the entire class is white. You know, so, so the teacher's, the teacher's white and he says, um, we, need to ta we need to talk about how the fact that um, if someone, you know, e you know, all of us have racism, all of us have racist attitudes that we cannot um, escape until, unless we confront them. And so, for example, he says, if someone punches me and they're black, that fist coming, if the fist coming at me is black, I'm going to have different feelings than I am gonna, if the fist coming at me is white. Mm -hmm. And he said, so he's like, so we need to talk about that. And we need to talk about why that is. So this white girl, you know, blonde white girl, you know, you know started to, to delve into stereotypes or my, my daughters are blonde, but anyway, so she's, <laughs> so she's, she says, what, how dare you? You know, and she starts freaking out and she's like, you are so racist. How can you say that you, that it's different than someone punching you as black than if, than if they're white, you are the most racist person. And she just says, <laughs> yeah. And she's just like having this total meltdown, right. you know, you know what I mean? And, and she's like, clearly sees herself as being very righteous, you know, in, in this situation, you know, and she's very, you know, she's, she's standing up for black people and she's standing up against racism. But in reality, like her whole um, display is geared at, and look, I can't, I can't open up people's hearts, but I mean, from the outward appearances, it appeared to be geared at demonstrating how unracist she was. Right. And, you know, it, it, and really demonstrating to herself. I mean, she's trying to prove to herself and assuage her own guilt, you know, mm -hmm. and she is attacking this teacher who's just like, 
you know, he's the one having the hard conversation. He's the one trying to have the, like the real conversation. And this is, this woman here is like, you know, just this girl here is just like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, 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 so much of white response um, to racism is much closer to what she was doing than what the teacher was doing, you know? And um, like, you know, I was in a riot in Portland, Oregon, and um, so this was like maybe 91, mm -hmm. um, you know, this massive, massive uh, outrageous riot um, that was, uh, you know, the, it was sparked by, I guess it was originally like it was a protest against um, a Bush fundraiser, um, you know, the first Bush um, fundraiser. And um, people were, you know, and it was mostly white. I mean, almost like 98% of the crowd were these like white anarchists and like me actually, you know, and, um, and I'm sitting here like as this riot is like jumping off and people are like, you know, throwing rocks at the, you know, the cops is, uh, you know, the cops horses and trying to get the horses to knock the cops off. And like, they're, they're like, you know, burning barricades in the um, middle of the highway, Martin Luther King highway, by the way, in Portland. And like, and they're like, you know, and they're throwing Molotov cocktails and they're just like, in general, like acting a fool. And I'm like looking at this, I'm like, what, you know, what is, how is this benefiting anyone? And what is this doing other than just like, you know, other than, and it was all, you know, and everyone had like anti-racist slogans and, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and signs and stuff. And, you know, you're now here, like 2020, you're seeing that same thing repeated where, yeah, um, yeah like it seems like Black Lives Matter has been hijacked in many ways by, um, you know, I have my own views on the organization as, as an organization, but like, even just like the concept seems to ha have been hijacked by white folks who are trying to like, you know, who are trying to somehow demonstrate um, to themselves mm -hmm. before anyone else about how anti-racist they are. And yet they're like, mm -hmm. are, are even like damaging um, the movement that they're trying to uh, attach themselves to, mm -hmm. you know, which itself is kind of like, isn't that kind of racist or at least sort of like parasitic, you know, you're like, you're parasiting your off of, off of, um, off of a very serious um, movement for, for like, for racial equal, uh, justice and racial equality. And you're, you're harming the, the image. And so if you, I don't know, we've all seen like those videos of like where African-Americans will come, you know, will come and stop some, white kid from like that vandal i really question how much that uh, i mean there's no question that every single uh, person and human being individual has to um go through a very um very rigorous and brutal process of examining their themselves for the diseases of the heart that they carry in themselves and for for white folks uh, growing up in america um uh, that has to include um, uh, racism and racial attitudes, but that process has to be something more substantive than that performative, um, you know, right. type of, um, right. you know, process that they're going through. And I, it, it may be that one never, um, is able to fully rid oneself of, um, of that. Part of this has to do by the way, with the fact that, okay, so as many people might've, might know, like in 2003, I, uh, was arrested, on um, you know what were allegedly you know terrorism related charges, and I was gone um, from then until um, in prison, and I got out in 2017. I mean, actually, like December uh, 2016, so like the beginning of 2017. Mm -hmm. 
and in that pro in that time period, like so much changed out here in the world, you know. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, so much changed from you know from being, uh, you know, I mean, like, and one of the things that changed was the um, trickling down of um, some rather, I mean, like, I think what I think are some really, um, uh, really unhelpful um, attitudes from um, from critical theory and critical race theory and different different things out into like they've they've trickled out from their um, ivory tower where they were, you know, where they were conceived and they've they've trickled out into the mainstream and I think that's what um, I think that that is not a helpful it's it's not helpful like, like for Muslims it's not helpful for Muslims to incorporate a lot of that into our um, into our thinking of how we uh, and, and we have like a we have a real just as Malcolm X said we have a, a very strong responsibility and a, and ability to grapple with the issue of racism as Muslims because we have the truth from Allah and we have um, also we have a, a, a history that um, we can draw on that is sort of like in many ways, not fully, but in many ways, escapes some of the racial, um, let's say, like the racial feedback loop that we're in in America. You know, so in many ways, like a Muslim, um, you know, Islam is a way for whites, blacks, others to um, immigrants. It is a way for for us to, to some degree, escape and rise above the um, um, the 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 social construct of, of race in America in many ways it's, it is that, but it's not a guaranteed solution. It's not like, it's not like, Oh, I became Muslim. Now I'm, now right. I'm, yeah, yeah. Now I've, now I've achieved that, you know, no, there are the, the tools that are available to us. Exactly. But I sort of think it's an interesting thing because with, with Islam, alhamdulillah, you know, we do believe that Islam has all of the answers that we need for our life mm -hmm. and for guidance. I do think that the problem is sometimes, do we know how exactly to get that sort of, I, I don't know, get the guidance <laughs> that we specifically need, right? For our specific issues. Yeah. Um, like I, I heard Imam Suraj, this was a discussion he was having with, with Imam Amin on in one of these lives. And he said something about the value of, oh, he was talking about loving himself as mm. a black man, as mm -hmm. a part of loving the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's something that, and I, I mentioned something sort of related to this on Twitter, that's mm. something that specifically black people in this country do need because our yeah. the result of internalized racism is that you right. hate yourself. So you have to yeah. learn you know, how not to hate yourself. Yeah. And I think for white people, it's kind of the same of what is the specific message that I need to rid myself of any sort of internalized racism that would make me hate others or think that I'm better than others. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I think you're right. I mean, for one thing, you know, you see like when you post stuff like that or when, when African-American Muslims say things like that, then you get people who, um, you know, who will, you'll get some backlash by people, yeah. you know, accusing you of being racist or nationalist yeah. or something like that. Oh, you're not even allowed to talk about um, that at all. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's clearly you're wrong, you know, because um, 
you know, the, that quote you mentioned from Imam Siraj, I think is so, um, is so profound that, I mean, look, I, I, I myself like seeing, you know, I used to like in, in my high school, you, you'd hear like, you'd, you'd hear kids who would say like African-American kids from the inner city, like the, 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 the city kids, we used to call them like, so the city kids, one of them would like, if someone was like answering questions a lot in, in class, you know, getting questions right, participating in class, you'd see other kids saying to them, oh, he's acting white. You know, you're just act, you're just trying to act white, you're trying to be white, you know. And then, you know, of course, the thing of the um, good hair versus bad hair, yeah. you, you know, like I remember like I first even encountered that concept when, um, so my, you know, I, like I mentioned, I had, um, uh, my girlfriend was black and she was from the inner city. And, and so, so one, one, one girl says, oh, you're, you know, you're so lucky. You're, you're, you know, your, your kids that you have with her are going to have good hair. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, good hair. What does that What does that mean? Like, I didn't even know what that meant. And like, I had to like ask what. And I was like stunned when I found out. I was like, what do you mean, good hair? That's crazy to say, good hair. You know, it's crazy. It's like, like inconceivable. And so you have, so like, white white folks have to understand. It's it's like almost beyond imagining mm. the 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 profound um, pathology that racism, um, and you know, inflicted on African Americans in the way that. Right. Um, they yeah they, they saw themselves so there so so Islam if Islam can provide this um, self love mm-hmm. um, and restore that then that's a really that's a huge uh, like part of 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 healing you know racism and and people should not see that as um, you know a lot of people like got mad at for example um, uh, Imam Shadid uh, Muhammad mm-hmm. at um, you know out of uh, Delaware. You know, just huge controversy mm. a couple years back about his. Um, he finally like pushed back against like Salafi publications and these other you know groups. And and part of his like part of his like big statement that he made was, um, we're not going to tolerate any. I mean, I, I really highly recommend people listening to Imam Shadid Muhammad. And I, and I interviewed him by the way. Um, I did a podcast with him for Med Memluks, and I um, and I interviewed him on that, and we really got into some deep stuff. You know, like, like so. For example, one of his one of his points that he's trying to make is, why do we have in the Salafi community in black neighborhoods, black communities, why do we have um, these white imams? Like, why is this? What what is what is the deal here? And you know, it's like a lot of people like listen to him saying that, and we're like, oh, that's that's racist, or that's. But you know, I mean, like he's got a point. I mean, he's got a real point. I mean, what, what is, I, I'm the last person to, to like endorse this up across the board thing of why people shouldn't take up space. And, you know, I mean, it's the, you know, that it's, that, that's, that's, that's ridiculous and that's extreme, but it's, but at the same time, it's like, okay, so I'm a, this is just a real quick story. Like I was like when I was in prison, you know, Alhamdulillah, I had had some, background uh, studies, um, Islamic studies, um, you know, so, so coming into prison, the, the Muslims there, you know, 99% African-Americans, um, they were, um, you know, a lot of them like wanted to take advantage of uh, the, the knowledge that I had and would, um, you know, kind of push me into positions of like, um, like doing classes or doing khutbah. So I would like do the khutbah. It, I'm thinking of this one prison I was at in, in, in Pennsylvania in 2005. Like I would, uh, I would do the um, khutbah once every, uh, once a month. So like once, you know, like, so we had a rotating um, khutib and, and the imam had asked me to be 
the khatib like once a week. So, I, so unfortunately, what happened is that the imam got locked up um, in solitary for some incident or something. And so um, there was really no one left to do the khutbahs except for me and this other brother. So I started doing the khutbahs more often. And, you know, it seemed like that the imam was not going to come out and I was kind of like his assistant. So I got pushed into like more and more leadership type stuff. Well, um, someone came to me, you know, a couple of brothers came to me and they said, hey, um, we're hearing some like, uh, like uh, dissatisfaction from the community because um, a lot of them are saying like we have white people telling us what to do, um, you know, all day long, every day of the week. And they don't, you know, they don't like coming to Juma on Friday and there's this white guy telling them what to do, you know, like, cause I would like, <laughs> cause I would go in on them, you know, I would go in on them just like in the same way that the Imam would. Cause I was like, you know, you know, and, and you got people hanging, brothers hanging out with homosexuals and you got brothers drinking, you know, making wine, you know? And like, I, I wasn't like, I wasn't aware of how that was coming off, you know, how's that coming off? It's one thing to have African American yeah. saying Muslim saying that. It's another thing, you know. So, and and so so like my response could have been to be offended, and like in some part of me was because I was like, hey, I'm I'm sincere here. I, I I'm really trying to. I'm not even thinking about race or anything. I'm just thinking about like the rectification of the community and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like you know, like a mature person. Um, and I hope I, I, I was that looks at that and says, um, you know, they've got a point. I mean, because, because there's, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like allow, I mean, in the same way that our masjid in St. Louis, when we got this massive influx of Bosnian refugees in the early nineties mm -hmm. and they went out of their way to hire a Bosnian imam, you mm -hmm. know, so that, so that these, um, you know, so these refugees would feel comfortable and at home and they would feel, you know, in the same way, like, it's the same thing, you know, it's like, um, there's nothing racist about that at all. There's nothing bad about that at all. And, and someone might disagree with me on that, but I don't, I, I think that, I think that they had a point and I think that they, they're in, and, and, and especially in prison, you know, cause in prison, you know, these, you know, these guys are, these brothers are all like really beaten down, you know, we're all, we're all suffering a lot and they're suffering and, and there's definitely a racial, um, factor in, in prison, you know, there, which needs to be talked about, but, you know, so it's like, I don't know, you know, I mean, to me, to me, that, that, um, you know, that has to be, uh, that has to be acknowledged, you know, it has to be acknowledged that, um, that we like to see ourselves in the right. people who are talking to us, you know, and the people who are advising us. And right. that's why, yeah, and that's why, so, so, you know, you like, wisdom, this, there's hikmah here, you know, the hikmah, we're taught as Muslims to, to be, um, to be wise you know, in how we deal with one another. So, so, so don't like, don't send someone uh, to go, to go do, to give advice to someone who by sending someone else to that per, um, might, might have a better effect, you know, mm -hmm. that's how, that's all it is, you know? So anyway. Um, no, mashallah. And I think the, that was something all valuable, but I think sort of the, the valuable part of that that I would take into mm -hmm. maybe just generally that maybe and you can tell me if you agree or not yeah. um, that might help with a lot of discussions between whether it's white Muslims and, and black Muslims maybe particularly um, mm -hmm. is if there is that space to even be listened to without it automatically being defensive yeah. um, because it feels like there's no room to then have the discussion at all if it's just well if 
if any black person talks about whether it's yeah. being offended or, you know, this is how this right. feels or looks to me. And then it's like, well, no, or, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's racist for you, it's for you to even bring up race. Yeah. Um, then we just yeah. sort of have a very kind of superficial brotherhood. And then, you know, we, we have to talk about these exactly. issues ourselves. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. And that, and that actually then perpetuates the problem. If, if everyone's so sensitive that they can't talk about it, you know, then you're just perpetuating the the problem. Uh, Just in general, like, I mean, like Muslims need to, I mean, white, white converts need to, um, need to think about uh, things like that. And, and don't just, don't just assume that you're going to be the, you know, the, the person who, um, you know, who's the go-to person, who's the authority, who's the, you know, so there's, there's a lot of that. There's people need to, um, part of like dealing with your, your own racism is to deal with why you assume that you're always going to be the, um, Mm -hmm. person who should be listened to the person who should be speaking. And that's a real thing. I mean, that's, that's a real thing. That's not just some, you know, that's not just some like, you know, liberal nonsense. I mean, that that really is, um, part of that self growth, that yeah. we have, you know, they have, but at the same time, right? At the same time, we don't. Um, there's there the the idea that so, for example, you'll hear people criticize Hamza Yusuf. They'll say, "Oh, Hamza Yusuf, he's only where he is because he's white. He's only, you know, people only care about him and people only listen to him because no, I mean that's that's ridiculous. I mean, is, is can we can we not acknowledge that the man is um, a brilliant, you know, a brilliant human being? You know, he's a brilliant, um, he's a brilliant. Scholar, and it may be that some, it may be that um, there's some uh, residual effect of that, or there may even be a lot of it. But I'll, t- but, but he's also uses that to his advantage, not to his advantage, but to the advantage of Islam, because he's got people listening to him who otherwise might have a hard time taking seriously. Unfortunately, this is the right world world we live in. They, they unfortunately might have a hard time taking seriously Imam Zaid, for example. You know. Which is yes, bad. That's bad. But if you if if Sheikh Hamza Yusuf can reach those people and get those people to get past, first of all, get past their kufr, get past their disbelief, and then get and get past the the built up racism that they have to now you know to where they will be able to um, to uh, to listen to Sheikh Zaid and take what he says um, at face value and for for its merits, then he will have done a good thing, you know, and he will have used uh, his uh, like. Ibn Khaldun discusses about Asabiya, and Asabiya at the time that he lived is different than the sort of Asabiya and the racism that has been unique in, you know, in like in the West, in the post, um, you know, in the in the post like slavery period that this this slavery this this racism that grew up in um, places like South Africa, United States, uh, Latin America, that grew up as a result of having to justify. Um, you know, this, um, this slave trade, which was clearly, you know, um, dehumanizing and, and so on. So, so, so almost like white, white folks had to like go through this um, process of distorting their, um, their, their souls in order to justify what was something that was clearly, um, clearly evil. And in that process, um, the, construct of race um, assumed, uh, uh, the social construct of race assumed something, a different, um, a different nature than it did in the time of like uh, pre-modern times and pre- before that slavery period. But so like when, when Ibn Khaldun discusses the Asabiya, uh, uh, it, it was somewhat um, different, although of course there are some, in some ways it had some 
some similarities and some common threads. But so look at Ibn Khaldun where he discusses al-Sabiyah and how actually Allah uh, has made al-Sabiyah as being a tool for um, that can be used for good. You know, mm-hmm. you know he discusses how the Arabs, the, the um, how the Arabs, um, their al-Sabiyah allowed them to carry it was part of what uh, it was part of what united them around islam and allowed islam to be um uh, allowed the arabs to carry islam to the extent that they did and likewise the persians and others and so on and, so, and even in africa you know you can see like you know so i think that uh, and, and i think that there's um a lot of good that can come from um and the turks for example but the problem is the problem of course the problem is when um, one's ethnicity or race or whatever identity that one has uh, subsumes Islam and Islam becomes like some secondary thing to that. You know, that's a, that's a problem. You know, that's, that's, that's secular, almost a type of secularization. And it's a type of um, almost like shirk as, you know, as uh, somewhat, I mean, Sherman Jackson has discussed a little bit, but I mean, we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to make race assume this outsized, yeah. Proportion. Yeah. And and it's really important for people to realize too that like the greatest sin is shirk. That's the greatest sin, you know, um, is polytheism. And you can have racist Muslims who, you know, who are racist and who are nationalist and they're so on and so on and so on, but they're still Muslims and they're still yeah. um yeah, they're still better than um, you know, in Allah's eyes than mm-hmm. than someone who is not Muslim at all and who is 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 associating partners with Allah. So these are people who are still part of the Ummah. At the same time, like it's a very valid objection to say, all right, well, it's one thing to say you uh, have a blind spot and you individual Muslim are not a, you know, doesn't make you like a disbeliever. It doesn't make you like a horrible, terrible person if you have some traces of jahili in you on these things and you need to work on this. But what do we, what do we do about um, systemic, you know, um, and I, I, I use that word very carefully, you know, what do we, because it's got, it's got, it has taken on a lot of um, uh, meanings that I think are not accurate in, in, in the post um, critical race theory world. But like, what do we do about um, these things that racism, it really is truly built into our society, you know, that you can't just wave away and say, oh, well, you know, because it results in actual real harm uh, to people. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And I, I think that's a part of why at least in public discussions, it can be a bit problematic to to use that word, Mm -hmm. um, to pay so much attention, to focus so much on the interpersonal and on the structural. Um, But I did want to ask you about um, in this, because it's interesting that I think, you know, we, we sort of agree and maybe many people will agree though. I'm sure some would disagree about, at least taking a look at oneself and how people are viewing you, like in the incident with with you giving the khutbah to this most yeah. black masjid. Yeah. It's hard to say, I think, then, um, okay, maybe you and I, we agree on that point, but then at what point do we say, well, maybe that's a little too far? So yeah. there was this incident that was spoken about in this article, anti-racist arguments are tearing people <laughs> part where um they're they're discussing this very specific issue about whether there should be uh testing to go into i think it was junior high school or something like that 
Um, and some people agreed, some people disagreed, some people felt it was an issue of, you know, some sort of cause that would help in ending racism and ending segregation. Um, others disagreed. So one man who disagreed with that, um, he happened to in the Zoom video meeting, um, This it turns out his black friend was there and gave him her baby to hold for a moment. Yeah. But all you see, of course, in the video is him holding a baby here for a few seconds or something. Yeah. Um, and then he isn't. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then there is this huge backlash to that incident yeah. uh, where they are saying, you know, let me read a little bit from yeah. the article. Yeah. Um, so this woman who, who kind of does sound hysterical, I didn't watch the video, so I'm just reading the text, yeah. uh, but she's saying that it's harmful, it makes people cry, it makes people log out of our meeting <laughs> to see this white man bouncing a black baby with no context. And I'm trying to go into the mind of this white person who apparently <laughs> wants to be helpful, right? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> trying to yeah. understand. Um, so would you say that is an incident of going too far and kind of how do you make that distinction? How do you say, okay, that is too much to say that there's any issue of this white man holding this black baby, even if it does trigger people, I suppose, like, how do you make that judgment? You know, after reading that article, I, I saw the video originally and I just said to myself, this is the craziest i mean this is it's just gone so far you know at this point that um you know we've we've just gone insane and because there's you know when i when i just saw that that snippet of the video i was like you know there's there's no there's no rational justification for this um woman to say this but when i read the article and i saw like the the broader like um context of it um i kind of like I think I understand better what she was trying to say. It's like, in a way, um, in a way, it's like if the guy. Okay, ima imagine that the scenario is this. Imagine that the guy, what he's doing is he's he's got a he's got a difference of opinion on some policy issue that, um, you know, he doesn't think that um, uh, he doesn't think that the um, the option that um, you know that others want to do is like really going to be helpful when it comes to um, I don't know like advancing um, racial justice or whatever, yeah. um, you know, in the education system. And so like in order to shield himself from criticism that that might be racist, he yeah. goes and he finds like a African-American <laughs> child as a prop and starts bouncing him on his knee, you know, like if that's what he did, that is definitely racist. You know I mean? like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? If that's, if that's what he did, you know, I mean, that's, that's just as racist as saying like, I have um, like, I'm not racist. I have a, a a black wife, or I'm not racist. I have black friends. I mean, you know, it, only it's worse because then you then you're like you're like you know like you're using a little child, you know. To, yeah. yeah. If that's if that's what he did. So like let's say like if the woman's um, if the woman's objection uh, is something or like like rooted in like that kind of like um, idea, then I can kind of see her point. Although, you know, I don't know if. You know, I like I don't know if she she should have like handled it in the way that she handled it. So then they like then they like write a, a letter right. trying to dismiss dismiss him because of it. I mean, so that's all really silly. There's no way to know that um, to open his heart and to know what he was 
intending or whether he was just like bouncing a kid on his knee. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And even in the article, the further background to the story, then he apparently, even though he disagreed with the, with removing the, the screening, um, he thought that they should be desegregating schools earlier in elementary school. Right. Exactly. So then it's hard to say that yeah. this guy is yeah. coming from a racist place when yeah. clearly other things that he believes in is not racist. Yeah, you know, I, I remember when I, in um, in high school in debate class, you know, when I was a senior, and they we, we you know in debate class, how you'll have to like um, often we'll have to uh, uh, adopt positions that you don't agree with at all, you know, just for the sake of being able to to debate it, you know. And so me and my uh, I was given the uh, I was given the uh, question um, or the statement to debate um, that um, something like uh, uh, about about affirmative action, like like I support affirmative action or something like that. So we so we were supposed to debate that, but my position was supposed to be against affirmative action, you know. And I'm like, you know, I mean, I wasn't most of the time, but I was a senior, and I, and at that point, I mean, I was like really, really into my like anti-racist like um you know like activism i mean i was i was so outraged because i was like no i'm um i actually am totally for affirmative action you know i'm like to put me in this position is absolutely um like intolerable so what i did was i i said okay you know what i said i'm gonna um uh I, i took the position that i was opposed to affirmative action because it didn't actually achieve anything that it was supposed to achieve you know what i'm saying it didn't have a real meaningful impact on like the racial injustice you know and then somehow i i I made that argument so i i made myself i was able to like find a way to but the point is like if you were like like my opponent my opponent kept saying you're racist you're against affirmative action i'm like no you're not seeing you're not seeing my point and then i lost i lost the debate and probably because people didn't want to be seen at that time was you know they don't want to be seen as like being against affirmative action so the people who voted when they when the class voted that they voted me losing Mm -hmm. you know but um, I guess my point is that um, sometimes things uh, look a certain way, and then when you like, yeah. Anyway, when you look at it differently. Um, yeah. So I guess just a couple more things that yeah. um, we can address before we end. And I think, of course, that's a good point, and that that can that leads to the next thing I want to ask you. How do you? Um, well, another thing I think mentioned in this article was. Well, uh, these workshops people are going to, these anti-racist workshops. Um, Do you think that it is too far to, like if I were to say, you know what, Ismail, you are a white convert, so I think you need to actively, you know, work on your racism Mm -hmm. that you definitely have and fix that and then whatever, and then you'll be cured. Yeah. Um, Is it too far Mm -hmm. to say to go that route? And then if that is too far, then are we saying that we just have to deal with it on a case-by-case basis if something happens or, or is there something in between that? Okay. So here's, you know, like, you know, that's a really good question. And I think, um, I think like sort of my global holistic answer to this is number one is that, um, as I alluded, alluded to before, I mean, um, Islam, uh, and Allah demands of us um, that we fix our character. You know, the Prophet said that, um, uh, that uh, you know, that the, the deen uh, is character, good character. You know, the religion is good character. And so, um, 
you know, there's, there, there's so much emphasis in our religion on not remaining static, on not being complacent, um, you know, um, but, uh, uh, and, and, um, and really on, on looking internally. So we, um, everyone, everyone in this, this includes white um, converts, we have to um, never stop the process of self-examination and we have to be very open to uh, nasiha and um, insight from our friends and enemies because mm-hmm. sometimes enemies will tell you the truth more than your friends will you know um, uh, um, you know and and that includes um, uh, racism in our um, in our thoughts and in our um, personal dealings with others and it goes beyond by the way like our special context of America it goes beyond just like um, the asabia that is discussed, you know, in the hadith and so on, and the, you know, because the prophet some had very strong statements against asabia. But um, it goes beyond that because it, there are things that are unique to our situation in America where we have to look at um, how we may have been, and how we definitely, all of us have been influenced, how we may have been influenced in the same way, as you mentioned about African-Americans need to do some mm-hmm. self-examination about where, whether they're suffering from sort of like self uh, hatred and so on, you know, yeah. and and so also um, white Muslims, white converts need to um, as well beyond the as I'm just kind of summing up what we talked about beyond just the interpersonal relations. We also need to um, uh, be able to uh, recognize and and see the um, uh, the the impact that slavery and Jim Crow and so on continues to have in society. And one of the major, major, major areas of that is in the criminal justice system. You know, the, the criminal justice, and I know having been in prison for 13 and a half years, I, I've, I know um, well, much better than most um, white folks, how um, there's really a racial disparity in the, um, in, in sentencing, in incarceration, you know, you know, and so on. And it's, it's much, much more complicated than simply um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you don't want to, you know, don't sell crack, then no one put a gun to your head to sell crack or something like that. You know, it's, 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 yeah. um, I'm, I'm the, like the last one to make excuses and to, to, um, to absolve people of personal choices, but at the same time, at the same time, and we, we can have a whole, I mean, and I would love to do a whole different episode or, or some uh, other work on this, discussing this, but um, it's imperative um, for white folks to be able to um, use their um, uh, position that they have. And it's true that white, white folks do, white people do have a cult, sort of cultural capital in the, um, in the society, you know. So to use that to try, for good, to try to, um, uh, to, try to work on um, uh, reforming the, the, and then also as well, like in the education system, there's horrible, horrible disparities in, um, in education between African American communities and white communities and so on. And, and none, you know, none of this like d- does like sort of like is to deny that there are very, very, uh, disadvantaged white, um, communities, poor white communities and so on, but their disadvantages are, are, um, uh, are of a different nature, you know, but, and we can't ignore those. We can't ignore those disadvantages that, that itself is not helpful, you know, but we just have to recognize that it's of a different nature than the sort of, um, you know, and then, and so, so, so that, that's, those are the things that I would say there. And like, we have to, um, and we, we have to, at the, uh, we have to at the same time, not buy into, um, the false, 
ideas that are being pushed that, for example, that um, white people are, are irredeemably racist and that this is like some mortal sin. And we have to keep in perspective, um, we have to keep in perspective that um, this is not the, um, this doesn't make us, um, this shouldn't be a wedge to divide us. We have to be brothers and we have to overlook faults. That's the other thing is we've all got faults. You know, we've all got faults and many of our faults are worse than um, than racism. So, you know, we, ha- we, you know, I would like other people to overlook my faults and likewise, I'm going to, uh, I, I want to overlook their faults. And la- last thing I want to say is that like, um, I don't agree with this thing of, uh, oh, um, if you're not white, you can't be racist. I don't agree with that. I think that by uh, ignoring um, and by denying uh, and being willfully blind um, that to the fact that all people can be, um, uh, can, can have this uh, alcibia in their hearts and this, uh, this uh, blameworthy racism in their hearts and even act on it, that's, uh, that's not right either, you know? So I think that Islam finds, um, we have to look at things through, the, through, through, the, through our way, the Islamic way of understanding um, things and dealing with things. And that is neither on the one hand to ignore um, the very real reality, you know, the very, the realities um, of, that we live in on the one hand to be, to, you know, to blind ourselves to that and the, the realities of our world and the realities of our own hearts. That Islam is not an excuse to do that. That's, uh, that's being un-Islamic. But also being un-Islamic, is to um, is to adopt some of the the, the more extreme, yeah. Um, yeah, like you know, uh, views on race that we're seeing from some on the on the left. In having more conversations like this and being open to other people's ideas and feelings and perspectives, I think at least Allah on an interpersonal or communal level, um, things can tensions can be lessened. Yeah. Um, so I want to hear your thoughts on that and then we'll just close out and show them. No, alhamdulillah. That's a, it's a really, um, you know, that's a really important point. Um, you know, we have to, um, we have to be able to have these kind of conversations and we have to have them without, um, without, um, you know, we have to have them without, um, having these conversations end up in, um, uh, uh, hard feelings or people canceling other people. And if, and, and even where there's disagreement, we have to say, all right, well, this, you know, these are still, um, these are still people who have, have good intentions. We, as long as we assume that other people have, um, good intentions, no matter how wrong and how blind they are, or we think they are then, um, um, and that, and we have to pray, pray for their guidance and pray for our own guidance. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to support our work, head over to patreon.com slash night and be sure to subscribe on iTunes to the podcast and follow us on SoundCloud. Take care.